Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. My name is Amat Gomis, and I'm your host. Today, we have Kataka Roy, a gender economist and former Global 500 executive, programmer, data scientist, and the CEO and founder of award-winning SaaS company, Pipeline Equity. Pipeline Equity works to eradicate intersectional gender inequity by making awareness actionable at the individual and corporate levels. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Just to start off, can you give a bit about your background on yourself and what was the impetus for the development of Pipeline Equity? Oh, that's a great question. So the impetus and backstory to Pipeline is actually threefold. I'll I'll do it quickly, but it's my family's story, my place in my family, and my experience in the labor force as a breadwinner mom. So I am the daughter of an immigrant and a refugee. I'm first-generation American. My mom was born in 1939, the year that World War II began on the Isle of Guernsey, which is one of the British Channel Isles. And in 1940, when France fell to the German army, Prime Minister Churchill doubted his ability to defend the Channel Isles, so he evacuated them. And he evacuated 5,000 children. My mother was one of those children. She was the youngest of five kids, separated from her four siblings and her mother, placed into an orphanage. And she would actually never, she was adopted a year later, and she would actually never see her own mother again. And she emigrated to the United States when she was 21, when she was an emancipated adult for equity and opportunity. I'm also the daughter of a refugee. My father escaped from Hungary after the fall of the 1956 revolution. And he risked not only his life, but the lives of my three oldest sisters, his uh, three eldest children, uh, who were three, seven, and eight at the time. And with the help of Hungarian freedom fighters, they walked across a minefield and crossed the border into Austria. And less than two months into the stay, uh, in their stay in the refugee camp, President Eisenhower sent Air Force One to bring 21 Hungarian refugees to the United States on Christmas Day, 1956, and they were on that plane. So you can imagine the parent going from risking his daughter's lives to freedom to actually watching them climb the stairs of Air Force One. And so that has a lot to do with why, that's one part of the story, but it has a lot to do with why I started Pipeline, because I'm here with you today and I have the opportunity to do what I do because one person in a position of power who happened to be President Eisenhower said, not on my watch, this will not happen, these people matter. And so that that was a key part of why I created Pipeline. The second piece is that I'm the youngest of six kids, five girls. And a lot of the things that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for in her lifetime, so For instance, women being able to get a business loan or get a credit card in their name or rent a house, et cetera, were, and that lack of equity of of economic opportunity that she fought to right that ship were things that I saw play out in my family. My sisters were very bright. Uh, My eldest sister, who was eight when she came here to the United States, speaking no English, 10 years later, graduated as the valedictorian of her high school class. And yet, because of lack of equity of economic opportunity, I saw the negative impact that that had both on them, but also their families. And then the last piece is that I'm a breadwinner mom for a family of four. I have been for 15 years, and I fought to be paid equitably twice in one. 
I never filed a lawsuit, but I stood up for myself using the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. And so felt that the combination of those three pieces, I could really put forward a solution that not only got us to equity in the workforce, but also repositioned it as a massive economic opportunity. Thank you for that. And it's so important, I think, for people to understand how personal and impactful these these type of stories can really lead and spur to organizational change and organizational efforts like you creating pipeline equity. And, you know, from your vantage point, I'm curious, you know, we've seen in recent years, many companies that have made public goals regarding the elimination of inequality within their ranks. And that can range from everything from signing up to sustainable development goals to to pay transparency, to pay equality. And I'm just curious, what is your take on these goals and the progress and sometimes the lack thereof so far? What we don't have is a lack of awareness. What we have is a lack of execution. And what I mean by that, uh, there's a couple of pieces. One is that what Pipeline found in the marketplace is that 96% of CEOs put equity in their top priorities, but only 22% of employees regularly see it shared and measured. So you have this 74-point gap between what CEOs and companies say is important, so essentially their employer branding and the actual employee experience. And that's the that's what we, Pipeline, aims to close. The other thing that's really interesting as another data point to that, and the you mentioned the commitments, we actually track companies that have signed a gender equity pledge and how many gender equity pledges they've signed. And that number, interestingly, has actually grown from 3,800 uh, to 10,400 in the past two years. So we've had a huge leap forward in terms of commitments Now what we need to actually focus on is the execution. More broadly in the labor force, we're actually missing a million women from the labor force since the beginning of the pandemic. And that's happening at a time when we have almost two jobs open for every one person looking for a job. It's not only the right thing to do, but it's actually a massive economic opportunity and can help us with things like inflation if we close the equity gap. I think that's so important for people to understand is that a lot of times people think that gender equity, diversity, equity, inclusion, all these sort of fall into like a feel good narrative that companies want to, especially if they're consumer facing, they want to show that they're diverse, that they're this utopia when there's a really solid business case and economic value that you're missing out on by not providing the, the type of equity that allows for true creativity and true talent to rise to the top. Because oftentimes we see that talent or the people who are rising to the top are rising there because they've had a lot of help and they've had an ecosystem that allows for them to do so. And that is something I think is really interesting. So I was wondering, you know, when you think about what's going on in the marketplace, have you seen a company or have you started tracking companies that you say, okay, this is kind of a company that gets it right. What do those hallmarks kind of look like? Yeah, I won't name a specific company. I can tell you, I want to comment on your the uh, economic piece that you mentioned and some research that we've done, and then what we've seen across our customer base. So we actually did research across 4,000 companies in 29 countries, 
And what we found is that for every 10% increase in intersectional gender equity, so gender plus race, ethnicity, and age, there's actually a 1% to 2% increase in revenue. So to your point, companies are actually constricting their economic growth through lack of equity. So that's one piece. The other thing that we've actually found, so we, I talked a little bit about women in the labor force, is that from 1970 to 2016, through women's increased labor force participation, they actually added $2 trillion to the U.S. economy. And that doesn't just benefit women, that benefits everyone. So that's that one piece. Uh, the other thing that we've actually seen is that companies who use the pipeline platform, what they're actually doing is shifting from inequitable by default to equitable by design. And so what that means is that they're running all of their people decisions through our system to ensure that they're equitable before they're actually making them. So everything from performance reviews and ratings to potential ratings, promotions, pay, et cetera. And on average, our customers actually improve equity by 67% in the first three months on the platform. So really, if we look at it through the lens of technology and economics and artificial intelligence, the question isn't really whether or not we can reach intersectional gender equity in our lifetimes is will we choose to. And that's really powerful. You know, we've we've heard so much in, I would say in the last year about artificial intelligence and the ethics surrounding it. And it's really interesting to see how pipeline equity is leveraging technology to create the world that we want to see, the world that we should strive for, that inclusion. And I'm curious when you when you think about what pipeline equity can provide to clients, is there a type of client that you think would benefit better from pipelines, services, the private sector, I'm assuming is kind of who you're focused on, but then you think about governments, would they also be able to sort of leverage this tool as well? Yeah, any company that has 200 employees or more can use the pipeline platform. And actually, any company can upload, we have a free equity baseline report, so people can get that by going to pipeline equity, all one word, two ease.com, and they can get a free equity baseline report. So any company can do that. Uh, all they do is there's a secure upload for their data, and we provide them a free equity baseline. And so they can understand very specifically where they are. And we actually use those 120 intersections of data. So gender plus race and ethnicity and age. Okay. And then, you know, we talk a lot about. And, you know, because this is an ESG-related podcast, really focusing on businesses. But I'm curious, where do you see the responsibility of governments to start or stop to help businesses address or to eradicate intersectional gender inequity? Well, there's two pieces. One is, if we're talking about, like, as the, the United States as one example, there's, there's a couple of pieces. One is that what we need to do at the federal level and actually at the state level as well, but apply a principle that's called gender mainstreaming. And our neighbor to the north, Canada, actually does that. They call it gender budgeting and analysis, GBA. And essentially what it does is put any piece of legislation, any public policy, if you will, 
through the lens of gender to ensure that it doesn't adversely impact men, women, or non-binary. So we're ensuring equity of outcomes. I'll give you one example during the pandemic, which is that, you know, obviously there was a lot of stimulus put into the economy. And if you were a single mom or breadwinner mom who was unmarried, you got a stipend of money for yourself. And if you had two children, one for each of those children. If, if that breadwinner mom was married, you got an additional stipend for your spouse. And the cost of a family of three, right, with a breadwinner mom versus a family of four is really not that different. And so if we had put that through a gender mainstreaming lens, we would have ensured that the distribution, if you will, was actually equitable. So that's one example. The second piece is just as one very specific policy example. One of the things that we know in the United States is that if we close the gender pay gap, we could actually add $512 billion to the U.S. economy. We could also close the Social Security savings gap by a third there it because most women actually sit under the Social Security savings wages amount. And so this is not just a good thing for women. It's actually good for everyone. And one of the things that's interesting that was that actually President Obama put into place, but was then has since been tabled, was part of the EEO1 reporting that companies do every year. He added a component two, where companies who have 100 employees or more actually report to the government pay by gender, race, and ethnicity, and then a number of different levels, so that there's some understanding of pay equity in the United States. It's just a step forward, <laughs> but actually, I mean, that that's just one step that we need to embrace and then actually ensuring pay equity because as American taxpayers, we actually subsidize companies who don't pay their employees equitably. Yeah. And that's a huge issue that we have in the United States when it comes to capitalism and how we believe in the ability and the transformative nature of education, of providing people with the right resources and providing people with opportunity, but then somehow holding more than half of our society back in a way that hurts us all. So there's definitely cultural reasons as to why this has happened. But Mike, I have a question for you is, why do you think that there that this hasn't been more widely adopted, given that there's case studies to show how this improves the bottom line for companies, how it improves and can help solve a lot of the societal financial issues that we're facing. What do you think is really holding this back from being more widely adopted? You know, there's been case studies around the the business case for equity, if you will, right? So whether that's profitability or, or other measures. That's interesting. But for most companies, it doesn't really bring it to the level of what does that mean for my company and how does this specific decision not only improve equity in my company, but also contribute to the economic footprint of my company. And that's what the pipeline platform does. Every single people decision that runs through the pipeline platform, we both show companies what that means from an equity perspective, but also how that ties to improved revenue. And we actually chose revenue, so top line revenue, not bottom line profitability, 
because business models are very different, right? And so we really wanted to focus on something that was universally applicable to any company, which is revenue. And and we actually showed that with every single decision. Just to step back and give you a sense for what does that mean when we say every people decision? So we've actually found that there are three key decisions that companies make across their people each year, which is performance, potential, and pay. So the average Fortune 500 company has 60,000 employees, which means that they have 180,000 opportunities to move toward equity each and every year. It's actually 90 million across the entire Fortune 500. That's actually what we make possible. So we take that business case and make it immediately applicable through the people decisions that they're already making within that company. And then when you think about those people, I guess another question I have is that oftentimes when we think about equity, we think about inclusion, we think about you know pay equity, there's also a component of this, and I think Pipeline sort of addresses this indirectly, it sounds, is that we need to build the bench of talent to get to the C-suite. And I'm curious, you know, we've talked a lot about pay, we've talked a lot about equity, but what about those opportunities for women and diverse groups to get to the get to those senior leadership positions within Fortune 500 companies and you you address this a little bit when you talked about performance but I'm just curious how does how does that work for with pipeline yeah well that's a great question <laughs> there's a, a couple of things one if we step out what we see is a, a few things one is that women are 58% of all college graduates 47% of the labor base and yet they're only 10% of Fortune 500 CEOs. So, And that's an all-time high. So there's a lot of opportunity there uh, to close that gap. There is not a lack of talent at all. There is a lack of valuing that talent equitably. What we find within the pipeline platform, we have a measure called glass ceiling, which is really measuring upward mobility of talent. And what we found is that for most companies, the glass ceiling actually starts at the individual contributor level. That is, upward mobility of intersectional female talent starts at that very first promotion. I'll give you an example of what we found. We found that on average, men are promoted at a rate of 21% greater than women. When you look at that through an intersectional gender lens, so gender plus race and ethnicity and age, it's that gap actually doubles. That is, men are promoted at a rate of 42% greater than Black women. So the way that we actually get to equity in the C-suite, equity in executive roles is really with that first promotion. And with that first promotion and understanding how critical that is, what are some ways that you've, that Pipeline has sort of helped companies sort of make sure that individual contributor and that first promotion is really done in a more more gender neutral way, where it isn't necessarily doing it in the same way that it's been done for for a hundred years, where certain groups of people are always sort of thought of as having executive presence and leadership potential or high potential employees. So how can they use Pipeline to help sort of decrease some of that implicit bias that seems to be pervasive throughout corporate America. Yeah. So what the first thing is to is to really understand that our systems are inequitable by default. They're not equitable by design. And what I mean by that is 
right? I'm a breadwinner mom who fought to be paid equitably twice in one. I've managed thousands of people in my career and obviously very committed toward equity. But I always had to choose to be equitable. The difference with the pipeline platform is that we provide recommendations. And so, for instance, if I was a manager in a large company, that performance review, as an example, would be run through the pipeline platform. And if it found any inequity, it would make a recommendation to me to actually remove uh, bias phrases from the performance review, as well as calibrating the rating to ensure that it's equitable. I can certainly reject those recommendations, but then I'm choosing potentially to be inequitable, which is a very different decision-making model than what currently exists within companies. And so what, that's one of the reasons why we see that companies who are on the pipeline platform on average increase equity by 67% in the first three months on our platform. The other thing I just wanted to address quickly, because you talked about pay equity, is that one of the things that we found through our implementations is that you can't actually close the gender pay gap by starting with pay. And the reason is that pay is the symptom, it's not the disease. So in other words, pay is the quantitative value that companies place on their talent, but the actual value happens before that in performance and potential. We have to ensure that those inputs are equitable and then actually use them in our pay calculations to ensure that we're actually getting to equitable pay. We found that on average, a third of all performance reviews contain bias and 4% of the time that leads to women receiving lower ratings. And while that 4% may not sound like a lot, it actually modeled out. It takes women twice as long to be promoted into the same role. That's pretty powerful to understand and to, to hear because I think I can speak for myself and others. We always think about if you pay people more, that solves the issue. Yeah. And what you're saying is that, you know, you're you're not really addressing the root cause and you need to address the root cause in order to solve the problem. And that's kind of the tool that Pipeline really is, is hitting at is to make sure that you, one, understand what your stat, what the status quo is. You understand how the system is being built, but then you're also given the tool to re-engineer and evaluate your actions or your company's actions in a way that you can take steps to decrease th that amount of inequality that's that's in the system and build it into something that you that actually benefits your organization by allowing you to find truly the best talent that can yeah. meet the roles and responsibilities that your organization needs not for just today but also for the future as well. Yes, and you know what's so interesting about that from a, if you look at it from a labor economics perspective, as of the last jobs report, we have almost a million women missing from the labor force since the beginning of the pandemic. And that's happening at a time when we have two jobs open on average for every one person looking for a job. So it's also the right thing to do from a labor supply perspective. Women are looking for is equity of opportunity, not just pay, but actual opportunity. And that's what we need to ensure in our organizations. Definitely. And just to close out, you know, if someone wants to learn more about pipeline equity or contact you, leverage to use your system, what's the yeah. best way that they can reach out and find more information about pipeline equity? Yeah, the best way to find more information about pipeline equity is to go to pipeline equity two E's 
pipelineequity.com. And actually their companies can sign up for a free equity baseline report if they'd like, or they can get in touch with us. The best way to get in touch with me is through katakaroy.com. Well, thank you so much, Katika. And thank you for being a guest on the ESG Matters podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 